summer. Many of our families are already gone on vacation and enjoying the season, and we celebrate that. And many of you have yours planned, and that's always a wonderful time of the year. Uh, at this time of the year, I'm feeling a real stirring in my spirit, a sense of expectation of what God might want to do for us. Um, I mentioned to our senior leaders on Friday night as we met together how that, you know, vacations uh, are tricky. Um, you can go on vacation, have a great time, and come back more tired than when you left. You know what I mean? And like, I need a vacation to get over my vacation. Some of you are laughing because you've been there. Um, Sometimes the summer comes and we shift our schedule and we, we go into a little bit different, a summer mode, and uh, we can get more carnal, uh, we can um, get away from some good spiritual habits in our life, uh, become sort of random in church attendance and private devotion and those things, offerings are reflected in that. Uh, and so the summer ends up being something less than strong and vibrant in our lives spiritually. But it's like a vacation. You can either go on vacation, come back refreshed and renewed and ready to go for life, or you can come back thinking you need another vacation to get over the last vacation. The summer can be that way. It can be either be a vibrant time when your schedules kind of shift and the kids are doing things differently this time of the year. And it can be a, a, a real momentum and spiritual of refreshing or otherwise. And I'm asking you to join with me in believing that this summer is going to be a refreshing and there's going to be a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit blowing in our hearts, our homes, and in this church. Can you say amen? amen. We're believing God for a supernatural summer. How many of you want a supernatural summer? Well, I've been in studying the investment principle for the last several weeks, sharing with you from the Scripture certain portions of that study. We are all God's investors. He has invested in us, uh, He has entrusted in us life, abilities, opportunities. And it's up to us to make good investments with our life, our abilities, and the opportunities that He's given us. He demands that we utilize the investment principle in life. And we read from the book of Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus gave a story of a, of a man that left for a journey and with three servants he left bags of silver. Two of those men invested that silver and caused it to multiply. The third hid his money and failed to invest it. And then when the man returned, only gave him the same amount of money that he was initially given. The two men that used the investment principle were greatly blessed, rewarded, and honored. The one man that did not observe the investment principle was severely punished. God's serious about investing our lives, investing our talents, our abilities, our opportunities. He is very serious about you and I investing our lives in such a way that there is a return to His kingdom. 
So I have been talking to you about investing in the kingdom of God, investing in yourself, and investing in others. Today I want to talk to you about investing, but specifically investing in the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us that we are to sow to the Spirit. Sow to the Spirit. When a farmer sows a seed, he is making an investment and expecting a future return from that investment. So you and I are commanded to invest in the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk to you about that today. Are you ready? All right, we're going to go to the book of Galatians chapter 8. I'm going to read that verse from the New King James Version. And then I'm going to read the same verse again from the New Living Translation. Are you ready? For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Notice that word spirit begins with a capital S signifying to you and I that he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So if you and I slow so to our flesh, our carnal nature, our sinful um, nature, then we reap death and destruction. But on the other hand, if we will sow or invest in the Holy Spirit, then we reap everlasting life. Now, let's look at it again from the New Living Translation, same verse. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Holy Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Holy Spirit. And so today, I want to talk to you about investing in the Holy Spirit. You know, a farmer invest seed in the ground in hopes that that seed is going to ultimately multiply and give him a return. Even today, uh, investors are not wearing suits and ties on Wall Street only. But all throughout rural America, there are men and women that live their lives and, and support their families on the investment principle. They are farmers. They get it. They understand that they have to take their precious seed, their valuable seed, and they have to sow it in the ground. They have to invest it in the soil. They have to watch over that investment. And then at some point, that investment is going to come up and they get to reap a harvest. You and I have to be live that kind of life where we understand that things we do, things we say, little activities and habits of life are all seeds that we're sowing for our future. Every time we do a good thing or a bad, that becomes a seed that is coming up. The sowing of that seed is only a little thing. It may be only momentary or it may only be a word or a sentence. But given time, it will germinate, and it will begin to multiply. And that word, that thought, or that deed returns to us in greater quantity than when we sowed it. This is the principle uh, that the earth rests upon. So a farmer knows I have to invest first. 
Think about a farmer that's growing uh, corn. And he takes his finest portion of corn and uses it for seed the next year. He could eat that corn. He could certainly feed that corn to his livestock. He could use it for himself. But he already knows the finest of my corn has to be set aside so that I can replant it for next year's harvest. And if I eat my seed, I won't have a harvest next year. But if I sow it, if I invest it, it dies to me. And for a time, it has no value to me. But ultimately, it will germinate, it will come back to life, and it will produce a harvest. And every little seed I sow will produce far more than originally. This is a principle of life that I want to bear out to you today. You see, everything of value and worth takes time and investment. There are things you can have right now. There are things you can have in the moment. But things that are of true value and great worth are things that take time and money. The flesh wants immediate gratification. My sinful nature, the, the, the tendencies of all human beings, is to want immediate satisfaction and gratification. But the kingdom principle is you have to learn how to deny yourself and make investments so that your future is ever better. I'm living today on the seed I have previously sown. Whatever good things are less than in my life today are the results of former days that I have sown either good seed or bad seed in my life. And if your life and mine is a good life today, it's because previously we did a lot of right things and those seed come up for us today. It's our harvest. You know, there really isn't any kind of a get-rich scheme. There's no way to get rich quick in this world. There's really no way to get healthy in this world quickly. There's no way to get educated quickly. There's no way to build a great marriage quickly. You can't do any of the really important things quickly. They all take time and they all take personal investment. True riches in life require investment and time. You see, we invest small amounts of time and effort doing the right things, doing good things, and it begins to grow and add up and return to us. Today, we are planting the very things we will harvest tomorrow. You see, uh, everything we say and do is a seed. It's an investment. It's planted in the soil of our lives. The Bible teaches, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. You already know that it's impossible to plant a seed of corn and end up with beans. Or plant wheat and end up with rice. Whatever you plant, it's coming back and the same nature that it was planted in. It doesn't change in the process. It only multiplies. And so if I sow good thoughts, more good thoughts are coming behind it. If I sow impure thoughts, more impure thoughts are coming behind it. 
If I speak good words, my life is going to be filled with good words. If I do good things, my life will be filled with good things. Because whatever I sow as a seed inevitably is coming back to me. Every thought, every word, and every deed is a seed. Our thoughts, our thought life generates words and deeds. From the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. And so as in our heart we have our desires, in our thought life is where those desires begin to manifest, and then from there they become words and they become deeds or habits and actions. And so it's important that we realize that thoughts are seeds just like words. And if we do not think the right thoughts, we're not going to say the right words, and we're not going to do the right things. It starts by making sure that the thought life is ordered and the thought life is godly. When my thoughts begin to plummet, inevitably my life is going to follow. When my thoughts are not right, my words are not right. When my thoughts are right, not right, my emotions are not right. You know, you and I are having an emotion in the moment that are equivalent to the thoughts in our mind. And uh, you can think thoughts that produce powerful and genuine emotions. Now, you know, uh, some of you may be artistic and may be actors and actresses here today. Uh, I'm definitely not, but I admire the, the ability to act. And I read a study recently where they were monitoring the emotions of actors and actresses. An actor has the ability to get in the moment and create a mental and an emotional environment. An actor can be handed a script and say, uh, you just lost someone you love. It's your wife, it's your father or your child. And you are very grieved, and this is the role that I want you to play. This is the character, and this is the action of the drama. And so the actor begins to think in his mind, I am a father, I lost a, a child, my heart is broken, and I'm grieved. What follows that is a genuine emotion, tears, the facial of features, the whole body expression, and the actor is having the emotion as real as if the event was real. Because by setting his mind and then conforming his facial features and his words, he creates the very emotion. So doctors studied the emotions that an actor has compared to a person that actually was experiencing and found out that the actor's emotions were just as genuine and authentic as the person that was having the experience for real. What I learned from that was that if I can control my thought life and I can control my words, then I can control my emotions. I can, I can have emotions that are, that are happy and emotions that are good and emotions that I want to have if I can somehow get to the root of it all and deal with it in my thought life and in my conversation and in the way I, my body language, the way I express myself. And so we're not just subject 
to any emotion that comes along. Emotions have a, a source. They have a cause. They have a root. And if we can somehow get to the root, we can change the emotion. So emotion, uh, thoughts are seeds, words are seeds, seeds, and so are deeds. They create a whole experience of the moment, and it's very real. Our words have the power to create, and they indeed determine our future. In the same way that God our Father has created power in His words, we were created in His image, and we have created power in our words. The words we speak, whether intended, whether thoughtful, or whether they're unthoughtful words, idle words, the Bible said, they all have an effect in our lives. A planned, ordered conversation has a much stronger an effect in our life. Anything that you plan to say and you intentionally say it has a much better, a much bigger punch in life. Uh, anything that is driven by emotions such as love or anger has a much bigger impact. But even idle words, things that we might say casually without thought or without great emotion, just idle conversation, even those words have an impact on our future. Jesus taught that. And so it's important that we order the words that come out of our mouth. And sometimes I am overwhelmed with thoughts and emotions as a result. God helped me to stop those thoughts from becoming words. Until I can deal with them in my thought life and deal with the emotion of it, God helped me to keep my mouth shut and not let it progress from thoughts with emotions to words and emotions. Once it gets out my mouth, then it becomes a part of my world and the world of those around me. So it's important that we govern what comes out of our mouth. Solomon said in Proverbs 20 and 18, a man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his lips. From the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. So whatever we speak and whatever we say will ultimately become the life that we live and the experience that we have in the future. Because of this, the psalmist David said in 141.3, set a guard, O Lord, on my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Well, if he'd have said it in the 21st century, he'd have probably said, Father, help me keep my lip zipped, my mouth shut. But he was just simply saying uh, 3,000 years ago that he wants to make sure that he doesn't say everything he thinks, that there is a gap between thinking it and saying it. I don't know about you, but people that have a very narrow gap between thinking it and saying it make me very, very nervous. Like, you need to think about that a little while before it pops out of your mouth. And I can say personally, some of the things that I regret saying the most were things that had a very short space between it coming into my mind and coming out of my mouth. So we have to be careful that we put some space between the thought and the word. And in that space, make a decision whether or not it ever needs to become a word or not. Have you ever said words that sounded so good when they were floating around your brain? And then they popped out of your mouth and you're thinking, 
Boy, that didn't sound right. I mean, it sounded beautiful while I was thinking it, boy, but when I said it, I realized how stupid it was. You're laughing because you, you share that with me. I know. God help us. <clears throat> now, let's talk about habits. Every personal habit, good or bad, is an investment in our future. It's a seed that is sown. Every good or bad habit. And we all have them. We often look around and we, we identify in each other good habits and bad habits. Like my wife would be quick to tell you my good habits and bad habits, and she would tell you quickly her list of bad is a lot longer than the good. Um, and I can look at her and I can tell you some of her bad habits and some of her good habits. But we together, we're the sum total of our habits. And if we have good habits, we're probably good people. And if we have too many bad habits, we're probably bad people. And, you, and I mean that strictly in context. We, our lives are the sum total of our personal habits. Every habit is a powerful seed sown in the soil of our lives. Sometimes we do things randomly and occasionally and once or twice and periodically, and those have an effect, but their effect is far less. What really impacts us in our lives is the things we do habitually. It's the things we do over and over and over again. It's the patterns, it's the routines, it's the ritual of our lives. So I'm not so much concerned about things that happen periodically and now and again in certain situations, but I am very concerned about even small things that happen on a routine or a patterned basis. You see, we develop habits over time that determine our future. And if I could somehow look at you as an individual and, and see all of your habits nicely laid out, organized, and categorized, I could predict your future right down to the second. Because we are the sum total of the habits, the rituals, and the routines that we conduct day after day, week after week. It's true in the natural realm, and it's true in the spiritual realm, and it's true in the relationship category, and it's true in the financial category. It's true in every area of our lives. A habit is a seed that is sown, and it's an investment we make in the future. Many of our habits are unconscious. You see, I have habits that I do unconsciously, but my wife is very conscious of them. And she has unconscious habits, and I'm very conscious of her unconscious habits. And every once in a while, we remind each other of our unconscious habits. And the fact that habits are unconscious, unconscious are very, is a very good thing, and it's a very bad thing. It's good that I can unconsciously do good things and do right things. That's a good thing. But it's bad because I can also unconsciously do poor things and negative things and bad things. So the fact that habits are unconsciously done is a good thing and a bad thing. We need to use it for our benefit. And I'll explain that to you. What I'm learning is that only about 10% of my habits are the result of self-discipline. You know, we have a tendency to look at people that have structured life structured days, structured approaches to life, that have good habits, 
and they're very predictable because you know their habits, and so you can predict what they're probably going to do because you, you know their habits. They're predictable. And of those kind of people, we often say, oh, I like that person. They are very self-disciplined. I mean, they do every day, they do this, they do that, every week, every month, every year. They just have their act together, and they are very self-disciplined. And I bought into that years, but I kept studying, and I found out that only about 10% of our daily rituals involves self-discipline. The other 90% involves habits that we either consciously or unconsciously conduct. So I'm not using self-discipline when I practice personal hygiene. I'm not using self-discipline when I practice being to work on time and being productive in the context of that day and quitting on time and exercising and eating right and studying the Scripture and times of prayer. I'm not exercising self-discipline 90% of the time. Because those are all in the category of habits, habits that are done unconsciously, automatically, and habits that require no self-discipline. I'll tell you when I need self-discipline, 10% of the time, I'm trying to break a poor habit and make a good habit. That's when I need self-discipline. When I'm trying to make shifts and changes and make improvements in my life, that's when I prove that I have self-discipline. And by the way, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control and self-discipline. But we don't live our life under the thumb of our own self-discipline. We live our life having developed good habits, and those habits and routine carry us through life, and, and every day we're sowing seeds for the future we want. My life tends to move. My life tends to progress. I tend to feel like I'm getting something done and I'm improving when I change poor habits and replace them with good habits. It gives me a strong sense of I'm getting better, and that's important to me. My life isn't stuck. It's moving forward, and I'm progressing in the right direction. Changing habits, developing new and better habits give me that kind of satisfaction that my life is moving Improving relationship habits, especially in your marriage. It always makes you feel like your life is getting better and your marriage is getting better when you break old habits and begin new ones. That's when self-discipline comes in. Now, sometimes self-discipline alone is not enough. Passion is what drives self-discipline empowers self-discipline. You have to have a passion for what you want in the future. You have to have a passion for the changes and the the reward of those changes. And passion is what gives strength to my self-discipline. If it's just suck it up and make yourself do it and make sure you do it and don't make any excuses, that kind of of brutality, self-brutality is not going to get me in life where I want to be. You know, you can practice self-brutality about your diet and exercise, eating too much of this and not too much of that, and, and, and your whole health 
You can practice self-brutality and you'll probably never get there. You'll spend thousands on the next fad or, or diet. And you'll be continually trying to do this and that and the other and buy this product and buy that product and, and, and pay for another a gym or another class. And you may never get there if there isn't a passion that is strengthening yourself. This one, there's got to be something you want. What I found out in life that Renee and I usually get what we want. When I make up my mind I want something, I'm sure enough going to get it. And I can tell you that my wife, when she makes up her mind, she wants something. It's like just give up and don't fight it because she is going to get it. It doesn't matter what it costs, how early or late. It doesn't matter what impact it has on me. Whether I like it or not is irrelevant. She wants it and she will get it. And you're laughing not at my wife, but you're laughing at your wife. And you're laughing at your husband because you know it's the truth that when we want something, we find a way to get it done. So self-brutality is not going to make me the person I want to be. There's got to be some passion. There has to be something out there I want more. And that's what gives strength to self-discipline to make the changes I need to make and become the person that I want to be and I believe God wants me to be. Overcomers and achievers replace poor habits with better ones. If you want to know how to move your life forward, break old habits, make better ones. Not all habits are really bad. They just don't produce much benefit. They just really don't benefit you. So some habits are bad and some are just poor because they don't have a return. So we take poor habits and we put them, replace them with better habits that have a better return. If you were investing your retirement money into an account and it was only earning 2 or 3% interest every year, you'd be trying to figure out where to put your retirement where it could maybe do 6, 8, 10, or 12. Because you don't want to leave your retirement somewhere where it's not growing. And when you and I day after day practice poor habits, inevitably... We're not going to get the return. But if we replace those with better habits, then our future is getting better moment by moment. High achievers, overcomers in life, they know that. Sometimes if you have a, a giant that you're facing, something, a major obstacle you're over, trying to overcome, a really bad habit that you're embarrassed about and you feel weakened to. Sometimes changing little habits are the key to changing those big habits. If you can't change little tiny habits, how in the world are you going to change big ones? If you can't fix little things, how are you going to fix big things? And so the key to really changing your life and the way you're living, the person you are, is finding little changes to make and replace little poor things with little better things. And before you know it, your whole life will change. Because in the changing of those little things, you build the muscle it takes to change the big things. You build a personal culture that is conducive to change, a personal culture that moves forward and you're not stuck. You're not stuck being the person you are today if you can change a few little habits. 
You don't have to change them all today, but just try to change one in the next few weeks. They say it takes 30 to 60 days, and, and it's over with, and you've got a new one in its place. So you don't have to start with the big things. Just, just start with something small, and you'll find that the strength and the, the passion you gain from changing, changing small things will make you only want to change more. It's a wonderful feeling to know that I can change. It is a helpless feeling to think, I can't change. I have this habit. I have this addiction. I have this controlling behavior in my life. And I'm helpless to it. That's a horrible thing. God called us to live in liberty. And, the, and living in liberty means that I can see a small area of my life or some sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. So sowing to the flesh is satisfying our sinful nature. Those terms are equivalent. So sowing to the flesh is equivalent to satisfying our sinful nature. Because we are sons of Adam, sin, the seed of sin is in all of us. And we have a sinful nature. We have a propensity, an inclination for sin. And everyone has that same inclination. Now because of our heritage, some are more inclined, more subject to certain sins than others. But no one is any less a sinner or more a sinner. We're all sinners and we need a Savior. And God saves us from our sinful nature. When we get saved, we become partakers of His divine nature. And so now we have two natures. We have the sinful nature that is a result of my birth. Then we have the divine nature, which is a result of my new birth, my salvation experience. And every day I choose whether I'm going to satisfy my sinful nature, or I'm going to satisfy my divine nature. If I satisfy my sinful nature, then sin becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. Sin breeds sin. Sin increases sin. But if, if I sow to the Spirit, if I sow to the divine nature of God that is in me, then the divine nature of God gets stronger. I heard a story many years ago. You probably heard it by now. It's the story of a man that had two dogs. And these dogs were always, always fighting. And someone said, well, which dog wins? He said, the one I feed the most. So sinful nature, divine nature are always at odds against each other. And which one's going to win? 
the one I feed the most. And if I feed my flesh, I'll be ruled by my flesh. But if I sow and feed into the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit will rule my life. If I sow sinful things and carnal things and things that are neutral, that have no real benefit at all, then that's what comes back to my life. And that's the person I become in the life I live. But if I sow into the Spirit, then inevitably the Spirit controls me, guides me, empowers me, interacts with me, and I live a Spirit-filled life. That's my desire. How many of you want to live that life? Certain behavior is pleasing to our sinful nature, and it's very destructive to our life. I cannot please my sinful nature. Jesus said, if you want to follow him, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Being a Christian is about denying yourself. The Spirit in us gives us the strength to say no to bodily and emotional, mental cravings and desire that is within us, our sinful nature. You see, human beings have an appetite. They have needs. They have desires. God has provided for all that I need. He put the need in me, and he has provided a, a solution for that. But his provision is always within perimeters and under certain guidelines. The flesh takes us outside those guidelines and causes us to look in places he told us not to look to satisfy those needs. We have a need for food, but there should be guidelines and, and there should be perimeters for that. We have a need for rest, relaxation, a need for rest and relaxation, but there is a, a, a perimeter for that. We have sexual desires and needs, but there are guidelines and perimeters for that. We have a need for achievement and, and to experience some measure of success, but there's perimeters, there's guidelines for that. We have a need for material things, but there are guidelines and there are limits of that. When we work within those limits, we live the blessed life. But when we go outside God's guidelines and God's perimeters, then inevitably death and destruction come upon us. So it's a sin to go beyond God's boundaries to meet the needs of our person. The seeds of sin produce a very undesirable future. Poor habits stifle the spirit. I want to read you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 through 22. And again, we're going to read it from the New Living Translation. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. Here we go. All right. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. I want you to see each of these short sentences as a seed. These are all seeds. These are deed seeds. So warn the lazy. Encourage the timid. Take care of the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil. But always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ. Next verse. 
Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now look at that first sentence. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not stifle it. The New King James Version uses the word quench, like if you had a candle and you were going to quench a candle, you would, and you'd put out its flame. Stifle. You know what it means to be stifled. If you go into a room that has a putrid odor and it has a reduced amount of oxygen and, and, and you're not getting fresh air, you go in that room and you're, you're struggling to breathe because there's no oxygen and it's just, you're, you feel stifled. And so we can stifle the Holy Spirit with our behavior. We can stifle the Holy Spirit and limit His activity in our lives. On the other hand, He gives us a list of things we can do that release the Holy Spirit, that encourage the Holy Spirit, and cause Him to have full expression and manifestation in our lives. So I want my conduct, I want my routines, my habits, I want my habits to be conducive to the Holy Spirit. So that the flame of the Spirit is burning brightly in my heart and in my life. And the light of my life is shining outward. And not have behavior, thoughts, words, and deeds that stifle the Holy Spirit. Our desire is to live pleasing to the Holy Spirit and to receive His eternal rewards. I want to show you one more verse of Scripture and I'm coming to a close here this morning. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Here we go. So stop telling lies. Don't elbow anybody now. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Let's continue to read. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. For time's sake, I'm going to stop right there. This New Living says, do not bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. The New King James says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, and He has emotions, He has feelings, and He has moods. Um... And Paul said, be careful that you do not grieve him. Grieve him. You know, one of our precious sisters this week lost her 90-something-year-old mom, and we've been interacting with her, and, and she's in a state of grief because she lost her mom. Probably all of you or most of you have lost someone you love, and you know what it means to be in a state of grief. And we can grieve or we can bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit 
by our words, our thoughts, and our deeds. Are our routines and our habits and our patterns of life can bring joy to the Holy Spirit and cause Him to, to be more expressive and more interactive in our lives. And that's the kind of life that I want to live. You know, good spiritual habits drive sin out of your life. And they're great seeds that are sown to the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm just going to give you three good spiritual habits that are probably the most important. First of all, a ritual personal ritual, a personal routine, a private devotion is absolutely essential for good spiritual habits. Um, devotion incorporates prayer and it incorporates study. So we pray and we study the Bible and that's called devotion. And uh, your personal habit, your personal routine of private devotion sows to the Spirit. When you say, honey, give me a few minutes, I'm going to slip over here for 15 or 20 minutes and I'm going to pray. What you're saying is that I'm fixing to go make an investment in our future. Sometimes people pray and they say, well, I, I didn't feel anything and nothing seemed to change. I did it, Pastor. You told me to pray and I prayed, but I'm not same thing. Well, it's an investment. Sometimes I can pray and it seems like it happens right there, but sometimes it's just like make the investment, sit back and wait. And we think we can invest in television programs and the internet and magazines and invest in sporting activities and, and uh, shopping. That's what sports is to girls. And, and, and we think that suddenly I can run over here and pray 15 or 20 minutes and all heaven's going to open up. The gifts are going to start flowing and revelation are going to happen and angels are going to... No, no, that's not, that's not the way it works. You, you create a habit of private prayer and devotion. And somewhere along the line, you'll recognize that the, Spirit of, the Holy Spirit's voice is becoming more clear in your heart. And He's giving you direction and He's warning you and He's helping you get through life. You'll find out that your supernatural, your extraordinary gifts are starting to flow more. And you'll find out that the scripture is coming alive. But you can't read the internet for years and years and then suddenly read 30 minutes of the scripture and suddenly get all these wonderful revelations and it's just all speaking to me. Maybe not. Maybe not. It takes a routine of private devotion. It takes a routine of weekly worship. The Ten Commandments. One of those was, be faithful in weekly worship. Weekly worship is a powerful principle in life. The people of God have been practicing weekly worship since there have been people of God. It's a principle. It's not a law like if you don't go to church every week, you're going to hell. God doesn't think like that. It's just a principle. It's like if, if you will be faithful in weekly worship... It's like a seed sown, it's investment in your life, and good things are coming your way. But again, people don't go to church for a long time, and they pop in church, and like, they want an award. <laughs> they want the medal. I, I'm in church today, God, so here I am. Go ahead and pour it on me. No. It's an investment. Week after week after week. Weekly worship. It's a principle. Serving others in the Lord's behalf is a seed that we sow. Helping others. 
I believe that every one of us as children of God should have a personal ministry. My personal ministry is what I'm doing in, Christ, in the name of Christ to help other people. Whatever that looks like, it's seed sown. And if we will practice a routine of personal devotion, a routine of weekly worship, and a routine of serving others in Christ's behalf, these are powerful seeds that will produce the kind of future that we all want to have. Can you say amen? I talked to you about a supernatural Sunday, summer, supernatural summer. And if you'd like to be a part of that, I want to encourage you to increase your personal devotion and intensify your weekly worship. Show up, but when you get there, be more intense about worship and prayer. Prepare your spirit on the way. And uh, get ready for an encounter with God. Church is not entertainment. Church is an encounter with God. And I want to encourage you to intensify your worship experience. I also want to encourage you to create a prophetic environment with your words. Words are prophetic in nature when you're a child of God. And you can speak words that create the future you want to have. So I've created, I'm speaking words for a supernatural summer. A summer of refreshing and renewing. A summer that is active with the Holy Spirit. A summer where God is doing wonderful things for us and through us. I'm creating a prophetic environment with my words. And I want to ask you to do the very same thing. I'm starving my flesh this summer, and I'm feeding the Spirit. Starving the flesh, feeding the Spirit. The more I sow to the Holy Spirit, the more He'll manifest in my life. God bless you. You can close your Bibles now. Let's stand. Thank you for giving me this time. And uh, today I've sown a good word into your spirit. And I believe your heart is going to be good soil and that it's going to bear fruit. And as your week begins to go forward, these words are going to give you guidance, direction, encouragement, and hope. They're going to bring a harvest to you. If you want a supernatural summer, if you want to feel some progress in the Spirit, come on down right now. And let's fill this offer, offering up for a supernatural summer. Let's come into agreement this morning for a supernatural summer. Join hands together. Um, we do that sometime. Thank you, Jesus. Supernatural summer. Say that with me, a supernatural summer. Supernatural summer. Supernatural summer. Shikoroma mandare me kipromolo poko shokolo tandore meha. Hiloroma mandila ma pakatamre mele kito toromala pakashikale tikalama. Hiloroma mandilo roma pakatimbromolo poko tomre mele hakatimbrama. Why don't you open that prophetic voice? And begin to speak the things that you want and need and things that you're believing for. Why don't you begin to decree and declare over your summer, over your family, your health, your finance, your kids, your marriage, your business, whatever it is. 
Begin to decree and declare. Envision what you want God to do. And begin to decree and declare those things. And release that into the atmosphere of your life. Thank you, Father. 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 We worship you. Father, I decree and declare a refilling of the Holy Spirit in my heart and life. I want to overflow with the Holy Spirit. I make a commitment to sow to the Spirit, to invest in the Holy Spirit, time and words, prayer and worship, listening and interacting with the Holy Spirit. I will sow into the Holy Spirit this summer. I will make investments in the Holy Spirit. And I declare that those investments will send a harvest in return into our life. Father, we make a commitment as a church to sow into the Holy Spirit. Sow into the Spirit. Sow into the Spirit this year. Thank you for, Lord. Thank you for, Lord, a supernatural Sunday. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you're standing by a family member, give them a loving embrace. If you're standing by a family member, giving them a loving embrace, say words of love and kindness to them. If you're standing by a brother or sister in Christ, greet them appropriately. If you're standing by a brother or a sister in Christ, greet them appropriately. May the Lord bless and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and give you peace. May the hand of the Lord be upon you and the Holy Spirit overshadow you. May he use you for your, his glory. May the power of the Most High bless you in every area of your life in Jesus' name. Don't forget, this is life team season. Get in your life team, sow into the Spirit, invest in a life team, and you'll reap an eternal reward. Don't forget that. God bless you all. We love you. Thank you for being here. Have a great week in the Lord. We're gone.